So you're saying this would make a great Marvel movie? I think so. I think they have all of the stuff. I'm not sure there was a hero in this story. What right. was his name? Alimento? Yeah, Alimentando. Is that? Yeah, Alimentando. Dr. Alimentando. He was mentioned probably more throughout the story than any other character. And then in the end, he made his transformation. Always spoilers on life, death, sci-fi. Yeah. Hey. And this podcast maybe is, I don't know, schizophrenic, disjointed as the book itself, probably, <laughs> inevitably. Yeah. Phantasmagorical. I suppose oh we could always God. go back in time and edit things and make it somehow <laughs> yeah, work in the end, maybe. Yeah. I'd prefer to go forward in time we, and, and see what happens, but we may be green I by the end of it. Feel a little green right now. <laughs> yeah. I should have worn green. I should have worn green screen green in this story. Wasn't there a suit with pictures and yeah, yeah. words all over it? Hey, could have done yeah, that, that was... for our podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with... This is Life, Death, Sci-Fi. This is Life, Death, Sci-Fi. I'm here with a man who always licenses his chronokinetic shunter, a man who can't abide obtuseness, a man for whom machines purr, a man drawn by his fatal curiosity, a man who would never get trapped inside the steel body of a great Southern class 27 locomotive. Child of grace, a man who would never confuse Destination Road with Desolation Road. Eric, how you doing? Hey, all of those things I can go for. <laughs> I can go for all of that. It was a wild ride. While I was reading it, I was trying to think, how does this fit? Life, Death, Sci-Fi continues on our historical, no, okay, chronological journey of Martian stories. We began it in, in 1912, and now seven stories later, we're at 1988. So far, most of, if not all of these stories, use Mars in name only, like a stage backdrop, meaning it could have just as well happened on Mother Earth. Now, I have to be careful of the critical acclaim for this author and his stories, honoring his accomplishments. This story was like an art museum when you find a gallery full of disturbing and horrifying images and wonder why you're standing there. And then you find out that the pictures are award-winning, like this author, Ian McDonald. What do you think? I like that museum idea. And I think for me, we'll obviously get into this a bit, but the plot is, let's say, wandering, twisted, maybe at best. And it feels like an amalgam almost of short stories, vignettes that are all, like it could have been a book of short stories where they almost Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried or something, where I find myself trying to, I found myself tracking characters in a way that I don't normally need to do. And in writing things down, just trying to keep track of all the different characters and all their stories and the family trees and just trying to, and I don't know that I was successful at that, but I felt like if this were almost like, instead of a novel, more of Netflix series, maybe like 
Sandman or something. These pieces here and there, and then it would all over time, we could spend a little, needed almost another 300 pages or something to kind of just need to spend a bit more time with some of these characters to kind of feel for them to, and then to kind of see it all work back together, weave together in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I I felt like in some ways they were all connected through family association, neighborhood, and that this was one of those epic dramas that went over generations. And it it did. And uh, then came back at the end and pulled it all together. And like you said, yeah, little short stories and sometimes hard to connect them. Like the best billiard player of all time in the universe and the super company that was extracting the metal from Mars and really not caring about its workers. Hmm. That then turned into a kind of a unionization kind of thing with one of the characters, with several characters conflicting in there. Yeah, with Johnny Stalin. And- <laughs> yeah. And you listed all of the the characters in our notes and it's a long list. Yeah. And to, to be honest with you, I wasn't as good as you when it came to putting the characters together. I just gestalted it and when the characters met each other or came back into the story. I got it, but it was a difficult read, to be honest. That was the same for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did that out of necessity. I just had trouble keeping track. Maybe just because you mentioned the critical acclaim, I was listening to Corey Doctorow's podcast and I'm a fan of his work. It was interesting. I think he mostly writes on Medium now, but he wrote on his old, I think he started boingboing.net. I want to say that he's one of the founders of that, but he had a quick little kind of review here. I'll, I'll read it to you. He's quite a figure, I think, in the sci-fi tech world. Yeah. Respected one. He says, Ian McDonald's Desolation Road is one of my most personally influential novels. It's an epic tale of terraforming of Mars, whose sweep captures the birth and death of mythologies, economics, art, revolution, politics. Its publication preceded Kim Stanley Robinson's brilliant Red, Blue, Green Mars books. Side note, we're going to read one of those next or soon. The two are very good companions in that McDonald captures almost everything Robinson got in a third of the number of pages and adds the poetry and spirituality of Mars in the bargain. Desolation Road pays homage to... David Burns, Catherine Wheel, don't know that one, to Ray Bradbury's entire canon, and to Jack Vance, blending all these disparate creators in a way that surprises, delights, then surprises and delights again. Spanning centuries, the book includes transcendent math, alternate realities, corporate dystopias, traveling carnivals, post-singularity godlike IAs, geoengineering and mechanical hobos, each integral to the plot. And then, yeah, he says Pyre Books has done us a service of bringing it back into print. Wow, quite a, it's quite a review. When I read these books, what I'm really looking for, how true these stories are to what Mars could be like and the environment. How do we get to Mars? The science around Mars. I think this story did some of that, but took us on a phantasmagorical ride along the way that was 
disturbing in parts and interesting, but also I don't know how much Martian stuff I got out of this. Yeah, there's no question. This could be set anywhere where there's humans and robots. I listed off a few little uh, moments where there's a bit of world building, where it's this red grit, desert of redstone, haunted mesa. And it kind of, Barsoom was mentioned once. I am impressed you got that. You squeezed this stuff out of there. Uh, I think I was jolted at that moment. I was like, oh, hey, there's Barsoom was mentioned. But we could be in Arizona. We could be light years away. Exactly. That's what I was thinking too. I've seen those red mesas in the southwest and the red sand dunes that they have there. Yes, people say, oh, this must be like Mars. Okay, Mars on Earth. Barsoom, by the way, from our first book, Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, nice shout out there. Mars aside, what moments or threads here, little mini character arcs or anything did you find I'll give you one. When you said the greatest, you mentioned the greatest snooker player in the universe or the universe has ever seen. I enjoyed that. I actually thought that was that was weird. And I don't know one of many characters that kind of goes off, grows up and goes off on a bit of adventure. And I, yeah, I found that I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that moment. I especially enjoyed, again, spoiler, the part where two, two things about it. I felt like I was in that moment. I could imagine this sort of Blade Runner-esque world where this was taking place. And I enjoyed the moment where he was fighting someone that was like the devil, seemed to be putting his soul up. And uh, that was good. I enjoyed that too. And then realizing that uh, this wasn't the devil and he could, it was just a mental game. And then it was awesome. Yeah, he wins. And then the way that he, loses ultimately to someone who's not nearly his equal, but that he had lost his kind of mental game. And it was just so tragic. He just should have never, he couldn't help himself. He should have let it go, just retired. And it's just so typical of this human fallacy of just not quitting and retiring at the right moment. There's so many athletes who just can't let it go. And eventually they almost tarnish their great image because of we remember them at the end and not in their peak, at their peak. Uh, so how about you? Any other moments that you found really engaging? The terrorists, the super terrorist, and she blew up the ship full of hundreds of thousands of people. And I could see a transport ship that was in the Martian sky that was going to populate Mars. And then there was a, a terrorist movement on the planet that thought that this was going to destroy everything that was happening there. I got a spacey feel from that. That was pretty well done. A lot of people were killed and blown up. The sarcastic guy, his sarcasm oh, yeah, was is, uh... so evil. <laughs> yeah, oh. Michelle Gastro, the amazing scorn mutant master of scintillating sarcasm and rapid repartee, one time most sarcastic man in the world. <laughs> oh my God. And if he pointed it in your direction, you were blown up, exploded. I could have gotten more of his story. That's funny. We didn't quite get the sarcasm, though. <laughs> it was just it just pointed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just pointed that way. I wanted um, to hear that because that'd be some good fan fiction. I want to hear the sarcasm. I want to hear the Yeah, the but, maybe, yeah. but maybe if you heard the sarcasm, it's all That's over true. for you. 
Yeah. Ian McDonald was probably saving your life. Yeah. I could picture that scene. I think it was Arne, Arne or Arne Tenebre was the woman who was the kind of terrorist leader. And yeah, I thought I found that it was hard. Oh, yes, to, Arnie. You want to cheer for her because she's battling against this, these totalitarian robot run organization that I'm also forgetting the name of. And oh no, the Bethlehem Aries Corporation, that's what it was. And and yet she's killing all these people, many of whom are obviously innocent. It's almost like a imagine her like a dark Princess Leia or something. Sending her own army in to be slaughtered. And yeah. she's fine with being the only one. The yeah. only one left in her army. These characters all seem that that come out of Desolation Road all seem a bit disturbed. It's almost like Desolation Road gave birth or bred some pretty extraordinary, right? Extraordinary lives, but many of whom are really need some, I don't know, psych, need to have a sit down with some sort of psychoanalyst or a psychologist to <laughs> try to work out some things in a healthy way. <laughs> One of the things about this book that hit me right away and really disturbed me, I don't know where to put it, is the age of these, of these characters. And how suddenly they're put into maturity, into an adult role. Did you see that? Yeah, that was, yeah, it's almost at that moment that Dr. Ali Montando goes back in time to save Desolation Road. They realize that there's a meteor is going to hit, I think, or something. Mm -hmm. and a bit of a deus ex machina moment where he's, oh, I've got a time machine. <laughs> I'm going to go back and save us. And so he leaves, and then we start to get all these other characters seem to leave. And it's almost, I was just thinking of this morning, but it feels a little bit like like we become him, and we're, we're traveling in time and getting these little glimpses and flashes of everything, all these other characters and people that have left. And I almost feel like a Ali Mentando fly on the wall. It's almost like we're skipping time and skipping around and trying to make sense of things and making sure that every moment works out in a way that brings us full circle to wherever we needed to end up in the end. But since I'm not Ali Mentando, it's not enough for me to really, it's, it makes it hard to follow things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been a good plot uh, technique plot in the, yeah, yeah, a plot line in the book, but I didn't get enough of Ali Mentando's landing points. I just saw him create his formula and then save the right. community, and then he came back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, to be clear, I'm, I'm making that up. That's just where my imagination went. To try to make sense of this story, the story was very difficult to follow. And I'm a good reader. I've read a lot of science fiction, a lot of fantasy, and this one was a tough one. So I'm not going to say that it shouldn't win awards, but in my mind, for our purposes, it wasn't a hit with me. It was more right. a miss. Yeah, I feel the same way. I didn't. I can appreciate some ideas in here and some moments, but I, I think I'm coming to realize how much I need either plot or characters I care about, right? To make it an enjoyable read. Trying to. No, no moments though. I also liked the traveling sort of circus was interesting. And I really liked the idea of this sort of, it was like AI angel, this angel-esque that was imprisoned there. Oh, it, yes, yes, that was... That was pretty fascinating. That was interesting. And when they had the battle 
the guy who blended became the locomotive, the fusion. Oh yeah. Adam Black, I think. That was interesting. And then they had the final battle and just made a big crater out in the desert. Okay. They had two traveling kinds of things. Didn't they have one that was educational? One was medical, I think. Yeah. Potions or something. So the train traveled through Desolation Road. I can't say that there were too many moments. Honestly, I think it's because I was struggling to get through it. I really had to focus on getting to the next chapter, getting to the next place where I could put it down and then pick it up again. As a reader, I was using all my strategies to power through this. I think it's because of our plan to read about Mars. So I've got my Mars hat on. I'm looking for Martian things. The story kind of takes you away. That's okay. I appreciate those kinds of stories. The big ideas were fine. I was fine with that, but I was still looking for the Martian thing. The big ideas, economy, revolution, machine worship. I think it came all together toward the end of the book when they were talking about when there was a birth. I can't remember who who gave birth. Two oh, yeah. characters had a child and they said, oh, this is going to break the curse that we had. It's going to blend the rational with the mysticism. And I thought, oh, okay, that's what all of this has been about. We've got a rational, we've got a rational theme going through it with this mysticism and they're clashing. And now with this baby, it's going to pull it all together. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right. What about what are your favorite sci-fi devices or elements you gotta come up with a top three yeah the top three the fusion locomotive i thought that was pretty cool and when what did you say his name was black adam black melded with it and became part of it i thought the ai part of it was was pretty interesting that could have been a whole story on its own so i like that i also liked when the dirigibles came in and dropped that goo on the rusted surface and extracted the metal out of it, it was a byproduct of the goo. I thought that was pretty cool. And that's when, you know, the big factory came in. And then what was the last one? Oh, I guess can't forget uh, the time travel device. Oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. How about you? For me, I love the the sort of half man, half machine future kind of robots that were hobos and wandering around. I thought that was really mm. interesting. Maybe was that part of, part of the religion called the Dumbledoreans? Is that, yeah, the Dumble, Dumbletonians were like half man, du- half machine. Dumbletonians. Yeah, that was interesting. I would like to see more about that picture sh- suit. I thought that was pretty, pretty fascinating as an idea. But at the top ones for me, there's that Rotec. So that remote orbital terraforming environmental control headquarters, the idea that this sort of machine, terraforming machine arrives and then it just creates this new environment in which things can then sustain themselves. I thought that was a cool mm. idea. These are my top three now. I oh, thought, let, hang oh, on. Yeah. I want to comment on that Rotec? terraforming. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty cool and I wanted to hear more about it. I thought it was like, terraforming on steroids. It was like miracle grow and boom. There you have forests, there you have fields, there you have everything that you need, lakes and all of that. And to me, 
it was a little kind of fanciful, but okay. Isn't there some va- vaguely remembering this? And I guess that's embarrassing as a sci-fi fan, but isn't there, if we go back, isn't there a Star Trek movie in which they kind of. Yes, there is. Right. It creates, you can see this fast forward version of creating like a. Right. World and, or and, something. And it's like a, an atomic bomb and they yeah. tested it out in a cave and you walk right. in the cave and it's all beautiful and everything. And then the next stage was to try it on a planet, kind of like Mars. And I think if I remember what happened is, yeah, it did that, but it also in fast forward destroyed that too. It just went too crazy. And they, oh, they no. bring Spock there to like, that's bring how back Spock life, came right? back from. Yeah, yeah. That's how yeah. Spock came back. And I am proud of you for remembering that because I know you're not, especially a Trekkie fan, but Star hey, Wars is your thing. No, I like Star Trek too. But I, that one in particular, I'm going to re- go back and rewatch that, I think. I don't know if I've seen that since, I don't know, the last century. Okay, so that was one for Rotec. All right, so that was my honorable mention, I guess. The top three for me in no, yeah, I was going to see if I could do this in a certain order. I guess no particular order. So my top three, one is the little girl who was stunted at a five-year-old. She was created, right, by that Meredith. What's her name? Hang on a second. It was uh, so Meredith Blue Mountain, her father, created his daughter Ruth Ruthie, and oh, uh, for it was the nature of Ruthie Blue Mountain, a girl of stunning ordinariness, to absorb like sunlight the beauty of everything around her and store it until she chose to release it all at once, like a flash bulb of intense beauty. Then she would return again to dowdy anonymity leaving behind her after image in the heart of unutterable loss created by her father in this Genesis bottle. She was created a poor, simple creature arrested at the mental age of five. But she has what this sort of God light. And so she can the store God light. Yeah, I thought that God light idea was really fascinating. And she just charms everybody into caring about her and her father. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty mm-hmm. nifty device so that was one for me the and then it was mentioned here the genesis bottle these sort of stock placentary they often use bovine ones in the past for surrogating human babies i thought that was pretty pretty interesting idea i could uh-huh. see that happening somewhere in the future this genesis bottle great name for it so that was i guess that's my second one and my third one which would probably drive us all mad but it's a pretty fascinating idea was in i forget his first name this jericho he had this limbo chip so he's this sort of gangster who's escaped and that in him is this limbo chip in which all of his exalted ancestors are speaking to him. So he's hearing the voice of his predecessors and he can seek their advice or listen to them or not, but he's got all his voices in this chip in his head. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty interesting way to remember the past. Actually, there's a character on Star Trek again on the, isn't on Star Trek Discovery, where there's a character who's hearing all the voices of everyone in the past? They're the Trill, and they're a symbiotic character that has many lives. Not a chip, but a, yeah, same idea that you can hear all the voices of the past. But how amazing would that be to be able to have all their knowledge and experience at your fingertips? But that was cool. It, w- it would be a- amazing. That could be a whole story onto itself, too. I think we yeah. got these little snippets of interesting ideas. Just undeveloped or not developed 
enough. Kind, kind, if you think about it, it's Desolation Road. It's like a drive-by, like <laughs> smattering of all of these ideas that end up looking a lot like the Tokyo Robot Bar. <laughs> the story more fits when we went. You and I went uh, with our colleagues to the Robot Bar in Tokyo. When oh, yeah. The Desolation Road was the, the stage, the moving stage that went right through the auditorium. Seats were on both sides and the stage went through. And there were all sorts of things, flying monkeys, robots, dinosaurs, drummers, dancers, all the things that happened here in Desolation Road. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that's what Dr. Oak probably appreciates about it. It, has, it feels like a sort of possible future with this sort of mythology embedded with tech and it's a carnival like feel it's a bit of a there you go yeah there's a lot of that action um, adventure yeah i just wanted it a bit more i guess i just didn't feel enough for these characters i mean, just the carnival piece the traveling troop reminded me of uh, and this book doesn't really but i don't know for some reason station 11 comes to mind and there's one where you're going back and forth in time but you really care about these characters. So I want them to be okay. And then I'm drawn in through these characters and uh, they feel really real to me. And these all, they almost feel character like a, like something out of the Bible where it's, there's a distance there, which in the description that it's, we're not really, we're not really inside anyone's head ever. It's this very distant kind of description of things. Like walking through a gallery and all of a sudden you're looking at these pictures that you really didn't expect. You don't know if you want to stay or not. It requires a lot of, I guess I'm not opposed to, I enjoy using my imagination. I just found myself needing to, I felt like I needed to do a lot of work reading this. A lot of work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm ready to wrap it up. I'm ready to go to our cocktail hour at the end of the show and talk about the stuff that that you would talk about if you were in a big party. Everybody's read Desolation Road. And we've even got that Bob Dylan singing up on the stage. <laughs> yeah. So when you're in, was it Glenn Miller's jazz bar, talking to some Dumbletonium, drinking your Peapod wine, what are you going to be chatting about? Exactly. I think I could bump into somebody from Guadalajara and they would say to me, yeah, you know what we saw last week? It was a UFO sighting. And there have been quite a few UFO sightings all over the world lately. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Is the first contact going to be us going out and meeting them or them coming and meeting us? What, yeah, I, I would say they're going to arrive here, and uh, I think the sooner the better, so we can all, I don't know, unite in some way, hopefully. That uh, would do it. Yeah, come here, please, in a hurry, fix the environment, stop the wars, right. and get rid of all the assholes, please. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I would say it would probably unite us all, but probably in some fear of the other. Although Overlords? I oh, you're one of those? You're one of those guys who the big ship is there, the overlords are up there? Fear of the lizard people, right? That's the, yeah, the conspiracy, right? Just lizard people. They're already here. They're already running everything. They're just like lizard people. Yeah, just yeah. put on, you got to get the sunglasses and then you can see them. What was that show from the 80s? Was it V? Was that the name of it? 
the oh my god i gotta rewatch that too i yeah. think we've mentioned that before on the podcast yeah gosh what i'd be talking about i i feel ill prepared for my cocktail chatter just is and I, what came to mind for me and i, I don't know if this is sci-fi is uh, can is the sandman sci-fi i'm fantasy, gonna say right? i'm gonna say fantasy neil gaiman is a he's is a fantasy writer i don't think he's ever written any science fiction whereas stephen king does all of that stuff who is stephen king anyway how can he do that he's a lizard for sure He's a lizard. <laughs> oh, 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 don't let him hear you say that. <laughs> He'll change you into one, I'm sure. Yeah, nobody can be that prolific. No human can be that prolific. He must be an alien. No human, yeah. right. Yeah, we got to get some Stephen King in this podcast at some point. Sci-fi, sci-fi chatter. We exchanged a couple of messages about this. The this Listening to the sound of black holes was pretty, pretty amazing. Oh, man. I, to me... At first, I thought it was this howling maul that was going to suck us all up. And then I thought, no, it sounds like whales, a little bit like whale talk. Oh, that's interesting. Just lately, scientists, because of the new telescope that we sent a million miles out oh, the, from Earth, the uh... because of this telescope, they're rethinking the Big Bang Theory. Oh, I didn't hear yeah, that. That's big news. What are, what are they rethinking? What exactly? Oh, it has to do with time shifts and how we can see the planets better. That's fascinating. I'll have to look into that. I hadn't read that. Speaking of the sounds of things, they did you hear, not hear, but read that they think that dinosaurs sounded more of a strange horn, like a deep kind of trombone or tuba kind of sound? They've been working on that the sounds of dinosaurs yeah. for a while. Yeah. Sounds terrifying. It reminds me of what's the what's the film or the book where the Martians land on Earth and Tom Cruise made it was it made a film of it, right? I want to say Close Encounters, that's not it. The Mars oh, Attack? Yeah, that's another the one. Kind yeah. of satirical one. Oh, oh War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that, you were those terrifying like foghorn like sounds they were making. I imagine the dinosaurs sounded like that. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Terrifying. Scare anybody. But Mars attacks a story here. Are we, uh, we're looking at our next possible read. Are we going to do Terry Bison's? That's the next on our list if we continue reading them all. And I'm pretty eager to get to Kim Stanley Robinson again. But before that, the one that we have listed here is Voyage to the Red Planet by Terry, I think it's Bison. And this is supposed okay. to be a funny... I'm up for funny, yeah. Funny novel about Mars. It's a spoof, it sounds like. If I don't want to say too much of old-fashioned sci-fi novels and space adventure. Voyage hmm. to the Red Planet. Okay, 1990. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I just know Terry Bison. Yeah, I put a note there. Like He, he wrote a short story, I remember, called They're Made of Meat. It's a, put that in the show. It's a fun read where he, they meet these aliens and they're just they're made of meat but i guess we all are <laughs> in some way but they're like yeah it's a it's a funny I mean, it's a funny story i guess that's my only bison experience what do you think after desolation road i think i can read anything now i imagine it's funny i'm not sure we'll see how much kind of mars if we get our mars fix there exactly but up for something some humor Sure. Okay, I'm going to call it a wrap.
Like that. Bye bye.